Well, um, as we're thinking about uh, today, and uh, we had a Gideon speaker today, an emphasis on uh, Gideon's International and the word that they distributed to over 200 countries, I thought it would only be appropriate that uh, we focus upon the Bible, God's Word. It's always a good time for uh, a reminder about the significance of the Bible in our life. I need to read it and study it and apply it. Uh, I don't think the need for the Bible in our life could ever be overstated at all. And so I want us to think today about the Word of God. Uh, February 16, 2016, just a couple of months ago, Dr. Charles Ryra, who had taught systematic theology at Dallas Theological Seminary for many years, uh, died and went home to glory. Now, one of the best things that he did in all the writing he did was his writing on the Ryrie Study Bible, which sold millions of copies. I've got several different uh, translations and different editions of his study Bible. Uh, and I found him to be a tremendous help because being a professor of systematic theology, in the back of the Bible he's got all of his theologies listed. He's got theology of, of the Bible and, and the origin of the Bible and the theology of sin, theology of man, doctrine of salvation. Uh, he goes on about demons and angels and theology about heaven and hell and the events in the future, eschatology and all of that. And I just find it's just a, uh, not only is it a great uh, Bible, with the notes in it, but then also at the end, you've, you've got his package, basically, of systematic theology. But this is what Dr. Ryrie had to say about the Bible. He said, the Bible is the greatest of all books. To study it is the noblest of all pursuits. To understand it, the highest of all goals. Now, that was a man who treasured the Word of God. To study it is the noblest of all pursuits. To understand it the highest of all goals. We can never overstate the significance of the Bible, the Word of God for us and our life. I want us to look today at a passage of Scripture out of many, many that we could use uh, to uh, really focus upon the Word of God. And we will refer to some other ones as we go through the message. But just for a quick introduction to it, in Isaiah 55, verses 10 through 11, and the Lord says, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Now, there's an affirmation, one of many in the Bible about the Bible. And about God's Word, and about what God's Word promises to do, that it is fruitful, productive, and powerful. When we talk about the Word of God, what do we talk about? Well, I think it includes both um, the speech and the action of God. And the Word of God is powerful. We know that because by the spoken Word of God, He created the world and all things that are in it. When we look at the Old Testament, the Word of God basically refers over 400 times to the words that the prophets were called to proclaim. In the New Testament, the Word of God refers to the Word that was preached by God's servants, beginning with the disciples and then the other ones who were called into that. Again, remember in Isaiah, God's Word is called to be fruitful, and it's powerful, and it is productive. And so we can say that His Word is reliable and true. I mean, we hold a copy of the Bible, no matter what translation you might have, and there are many multiple translations, and many of them are being updated every other year or so, making the, making the Word of God more relevant in a language more relevant for us. 
But you're holding a Bible in your hand. That's a miraculous process of over 1,500 years, and God, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, using over 40 men as authors to write down these words. And we have God's Word here in this printed form. We've got 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, 66 books all together. All of them the Word of God. All of them profitable for us in our spiritual growth and in our life and in our study. So it was God-inspired men through the Holy Spirit to write these words so that we would have them for the edification of our life. Now, there are a lot of different ways we can describe the Bible. And I just want to show, share with you some words that the Bible uses to describe itself. I think that's the best place we go. You want to get to know somebody, you ask them to, to describe themselves to you. You know, what are your likes? What are your dislikes? You know, who are you? What's your character? What, you know, what are those things like with you? Well, you look at the Bible and you ask, what does the Bible say about itself? What can I know about the Bible and affirm? Well, in Psalm chapter 12, verse 6, the Word of God says itself that the Word is pure and flawless. We'll look at Psalm 19, verse 7. The Bible says of itself that the Word of God is perfect. You can't get any better in the description than that than to say that the Word of God is perfect. In Psalm 119, great, great psalm that affirms the Word of God in so many different ways. Verse 89 says, Your Word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. The Word of God is settled forever in heaven. And then 1 Peter 1.24 tells us that the Word of God stands forever in these words. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the Word of the Lord stands forever. The Word of the Lord will stand forever. Now, with all that affirmed about the Bible, I want us to think about four things today, four reasons as to why we need to learn and study and apply the Bible to our life. The first one is because God's Word is the authority for life. God's Word is the authority for our life. See, Scripture itself is authoritative, and it is infallible. It is inspired by God Himself. It literally means God breathed, and that's what the NIV translation of 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says. All Scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You see, Scripture is authoritative because it is inspired by God, and it is objectively inspired. It is the objective revelation of God. Therefore, we believe in a personal God who has revealed Himself to us in His spoken Word and written Word. See, the Bible teaches us what to believe, and the Bible teaches us what to do. That's the practical aspect of it. See, the Bible corrects us and trains us in righteousness so that we are equipped to live a life that pleases God. And we rely on God's revelation in His Word for that. When we look at the life of Jesus, we saw that He, the Son of God, not only saw it was so important for Him to slip away and have quiet time with God alone, He, the Son of God, needed to have communication with God. But we also see the great authority that Jesus gives to the Scriptures in talking about the Old Testament. He trusted the Word of God. He quoted the Old Testament frequently. In Matthew 5, 17 through 18, Jesus said He did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. 
three times in Matthew 24, 35, Mark 13, 31, and Luke 21, 33. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Six times in Matthew's gospel, Jesus replied to those who were questioning him by making reference to the Old Testament and asking them, have you not read? See, the word of God was the source of authority for Jesus And it should be for us because it's through the Word of God that we develop a Christian worldview. See, everybody has a worldview of some sort. I I, I fear that the Christian worldview is not the majority in our culture today. Well, people are taking it from all different kinds of philosophies and all different kinds of thoughts for living, all different kinds of meditations and all different kinds of ways in which you can be shaped And then that shapes your worldview. But for us to see the world the way that God wants us to see the world, our worldview has to be shaped by the authoritative Word of God, and that's through Bible study. That's through learning the Word of God and applying the Word of God, understanding what God has done, understanding what God approves, understanding what we should believe, and understanding how we should act and live in the culture in which we live today. That's a very valid reason, number one, to read and study the Bible is because it is our authority for life. Then there's a second reason to read it, and that's because God creates life through His Word. Well, we know in the beginning God spoke and He brought everything into existence. Genesis 1-3 says, God said, let there be light, and there was light. Imagine that, the power of God's Word that He spoke and everything was created. He brought this world in which we live out of nothing. Hebrews 11.3 says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. God spoke, and everything came into existence. But it's also true of His Word today, the Bible, That His Word creates new life in people who were born again by the Word of God. We had a profession of faith made in 845 worship. That was one of our children who made profession of faith because through the teaching and hearing of the Word, he had been born anew. He was born again. 1 Peter 1.23 says, you have been born again. Now listen to this carefully. You have been born again. Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. So, how does new life come about? How are people born again? How do you have a a new beginning in your life? It's through the living Word of God that God gives to us eternal life as we believe. See, it's the gospel. The gospel message that brings new life and creates new people. You say, okay, well, what is the gospel? Sometimes we we make reference to the fact that the gospel of the first four books in the New Testament, gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, Sometimes the gospel is put forth to us in a simple plan of salvation. We say this is the gospel. Sometimes to affirm something that we believe and want to make sure that people know that it is the truth, we'll say that's the gospel, Right? So, what is actually the gospel? What is this good news in a nutshell? 
Well, I think let me just affirm three things. Number one, the gospel affirms that God is God. He is our creator. He brought everything into existence. We are his creations. We are his children by creation. And we owe him love, reverence, obedience, and faith. But the gospel also goes on to tell us that there's bad news, and that is that we've all sinned. And the Bible tells us we've all sinned, gone our own way, fallen short of the glory of God, trespassed against God's law. And that means that we are lost and hopelessly lost in our sin because we can't do anything about it, and we're doomed for an eternity of hell. But here's the good news part of the gospel, and that is God sent a Redeemer. He sent Jesus Christ, His Son in the flesh, who was perfect in every way. The Word who was made incarnate, who came into this world as God in the flesh and ultimately took on His body all of our sins, yours and mine, and died on that cross for the sins of the world so that as we believe in Him and the act that He did for us and confess our sins and ask for forgiveness, truly repenting of our sin, then we're born again into the kingdom of God. Now, how would we know that? except for the fact that we hear it through the Word, the living Word of the Bible. And so it's the Word of God then that creates life. And we are born again, Peter said, through the living Word of God. First time I ever heard plan of salvation, it was shared with me by Gideon. And somewhere, we look for it again this morning, but somewhere in all my possessions at home, I have that, I have that Gideon New Testament, it's green, in 1958. And in my terrible writing, even back then, I had written my name in there. It was on a Sunday, you know, we grew up in small, I grew up in a small town. And we had preaching every Sunday except the fifth Sunday, you got the Sunday off. Or supposedly it was for the pastor to have off because he was pastor of two churches. And oftentimes on the fifth Sunday, we would have a Gideon speaker. And I grew up hearing Gideon speakers. I always loved to hear Gideon speakers because they told these stories of the Word of God and how it went around the world. But it was first the Gideon who shared with me the plan of salvation, one of those green New Testaments. And then later on, my pastor uh, explained to me when I was lonely and crying because I didn't have a playmate, that God would send to me a friend who would stick closer than a brother, and that was Jesus Christ. And then, so logically and naturally, about uh, three weeks later when we were having revival and our pastor was preaching and he explained the plan of salvation, I, I, I accepted Christ and made that decision. See, I was born again through the living Word of God. That's the power of the Word of God. It's one reason why I think that everyone should have no problem in supporting the work of the Gideons, because they put the Word of God in the hands of people around the world, and lives are changed. We witnessed that in the video this morning. Here's the third reason why we need the Bible in our life, and that is that faith comes from hearing God's Word. Now, how do we have faith? Well, we believe. Well, what does that mean, that we believe and we have faith? Well, in a very simple plan of salvation, Scripture is often quoted for that in Romans 10, 9 and 10, and then verse 13, we hear these words. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Then verse 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then the Apostle Paul who wrote these words goes on to say, how then can they call on the one they have not believed? 
And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? And then he says, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. So how do we have faith? It's through the word of Christ, the word of God. And so then what's the relationship between faith, God's word, and the reality of life as we live it in our culture today? Well, number one, faith is what helps us in our battle against Satan. In Ephesians 6, the Apostle Paul writes and talks about the armor uh, that God provides for us. And he says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Everyone in here ought to know by now that Satan is going to attack you if you're a believer. And he's going to fire those, those fiery darts at you. And the image there of, of the armor that God provides for us is of a Roman soldier decked out in all of that armor. And he's got a great big wooden shield that he would stop those fiery arrows coming at him. And Paul says to us then that faith is that shield with which we stop the fiery arrows and the arrows of God, of Satan. And then we've got the helmet of salvation, the word up here in our minds. And then we've got the sword of the spirit with the word of God so we can be offensive with that. But how do we get that faith? It comes through hearing the Word of God. And when we are under attack by Satan, it's very important to know the Word of God. Jesus knew that in his own life. He had studied the Scriptures. His father Joseph did what every uh, Hebrew man was supposed to do, and that is teach his children the Scriptures. And though we don't have any account of his life after a, a few early scenes in the life of Jesus, Joseph evidently did a good job of it before he died. And Jesus knew the Scriptures because in Luke 4, when Jesus was tempted three times, three times he responded to Satan by saying, it is written. See, he knew the Scriptures. He memorized them. He answered out of Deuteronomy. What about us? Well, Psalm 119 is a great psalm. I've already said that about affirming the Word of God. It's called commandments and law and, and the Word of God. And the psalmist said, how can a young man keep his way pure? And he gives the answer, by living according to your Word. And then he says a, word, a verse that many of us probably learned long ago in Bible school. I have hidden your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You see, that's what the Bible does for us when we take it into our life as a regular part of our spiritual discipline. We're able to learn the Bible and take it into our hearts so that we will not sin against God. But if we don't know the Scriptures, if we haven't read it and hadn't studied it, number one, we're going to be vulnerable to Satan's attacks, and number two, we're, not, we're going to be ignorant. We're not going to know how we're supposed to live and how we're supposed to respond. We're not going to know what's right. We're not going to know what's wrong. We're not going to know what's moral. We're not going to know what's immoral. That's what's wrong with our culture today. We're not living by the authoritative Word of God. But when we are secure in the Word of God, then we have faith for living in this world. The psalmist says, oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies. See, there's a good reason for it. Makes us wiser than our enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. That's another word for the Word of God. 
And I am more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. Then in verse 105, he says, he, he quotes something else that we normally quote and have learned perhaps from a young age, and that is, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Those words always remind me of Bible school when we're talking about the Bible and making our Pledge of Allegiance to the Bible, but also talking about uh, the importance of the Bible in, in our life, that it's a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. In other words, it gives us the guidance we need in this world. So through the Word of God, we have faith to win the battle against sin. Then here's the fourth reason we need to read and study the Word of God. And that's because the Word of God brings us joy. Now, it is a duty that we're called to do, and that's to read the Word of God. We're commanded to do it, and to read it, and study it. And most of the times when we're commanded to do something, or forced to do something, or think we have to do something out of duty or obligation, it's not not really a joyous thing. But reading the Word of God and studying the Word of God should be a joyous experience. And it is if you do it in the right spirit. You don't just open up the Bible and randomly start reading. Have a plan by which you read the Bible so that you're in a systematic plan so that God can speak to you through that. And so that He can show you His commands in the Word. In fact, the psalmist said in verse 35 of Psalm 119, direct me in the path of your commands for there I find delight. I always make fun, I shouldn't do that, of, of the book of Leviticus and kind of talking about, I always like to have a Bible study on Leviticus. And when you get through reading your Bible through in a year, when you, you get to Leviticus, come on, be honest, you kind of get bogged down in it, don't you? You know? What in the world do all these laws and statutes and all these things have to do with my life today? Well, they were all necessary because they were, they were precursors to the coming of Christ and the ultimate sacrifice he'd make. But I tell you, there have been absolutely times when I've been reading my Bible at the wrong time. I've fallen asleep in Leviticus. Yeah, I hear that back there. (laughs) But we don't approach reading the Word of God legalistically. There ought to be a delight in our life to take the Word of God. We have the Word of God where there there are thousands yet of people groups around the world who do not have the Bible. Thank God for the Gideons and others who make it possible for people groups that have the Bible translated into their language. Jeremiah the prophet in chapter 15 verse 16 talked about the Word of God. And he said, when your words came, I ate them. They became mine. I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight. Now, every time you pick up your Bible to read it, you ought to think, this is my, this is my joy and my heart's delight. To have a copy of God's Word and to be able to read that. And apply it to our life. So I don't think it can ever be overstated the significance and the importance of the Bible in our life. It's powerful. The Bible can change a life because people are born again through the power of the living Word of God. It can change a community, it can change a culture, it can change our nation. We talked earlier when we began out of out of Isaiah about the Word of God going forth and never returning void. In 1951, Dr. Julius Hickerson, a physician, was a Southern Baptist missionary in the nation of Columbia. He was on a flight one day from Columbia to Venezuela when the plane went down and his body was never found. 
in the Andes Mountains. But two years later, some natives came out of a village in the dark interior of the nation of Colombia, and they made their way to the Baptist Mission Station. And the missionaries there were absolutely startled to discover that these natives were Christians, and they were believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, because there had been no missionaries sent out into that very dangerous part of that nation of Colombia. And so they asked them how they came to be believers. And they produced a beautiful leather-bound Spanish Bible. And in his handwriting on the inside flyleaf was the name Julius Hickerson. And the natives went on to tell the missionaries that they found that Bible amidst the ruins of the wrecked plain lying open in the jungle. They called it the book from heaven. Only one man in their village read Spanish. And so he interpreted it for all of them. And every one of them in that village became a Christian. And they had already started dozens of churches in the interior of Colombia. You see, God promises us that his word that goes out from his mouth will not return empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. This is the word of God. Read it. Study it, believe it, and live it. Father, we thank you for your living word that we have as the Bible. Help us to treasure our Bibles, to read them. Let them be our delight as we read and study them. Let us develop our faith and our moral guidelines through this, your word. Let us develop our worldview, our perspective from the perspective that you have as we read and study your word. And Father, if there's one today who does not know you, let them come today and respond to a living and abiding word of God and find new life through Jesus Christ. Father, it's in his name and for your glory that I pray. Amen.